Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Aaron Michael, who's a partner of 1984 Ventures, which is an early stage venture capital firm. Uh, investing into prop tech, fintech, healthcare, and other sectors. He's also the co-founder of PathSource, an edtech startup that rose to be the top career app in App Store until his acquisition in 2017. He's done, I don't know, has done his MBA from Howard Business School and an MBA from uh, Howard Kennedy School of Government. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, how, how did you get your start in, in startups and, you know, how did you, uh, you know, get, get your start in VC? With regard to get, getting started in, in startups, after after business school, I moved out to the West Coast for for job and product management, and you know did did that for a short period of time. But once you once you move out to Silicon Valley, it just sort of gets get get that itch to start a company, and I, and I did. I ended up starting uh, starting a couple of companies out of there. The most recent of those was, uh, path source, which you mentioned, and we enabled people to figure out what career they wanted to go into, show them the school educational path to get there. And, and that got acquired back in early 2017 by a company called academics direct. Uh, I'd come on board there and, you know, I didn't really want to spend the rest of my career in, in ed tech. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I, and I had a conversation with a old friend, Rami Adib, who uh, was starting 1984. And he said, you know, hey, we've got our our first close coming up uh, pretty shortly. Why don't you give this a try? Uh, And I I did. And taking that leap was a phenomenal decision. It's it's turned out to be uh, a really rewarding journey for, for the past five years. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, the first startup I was uh, part of was an edtech company. And we painfully, you know, learned the lesson back in India that uh, the decision makers were were not uh, the children, but the parents. But uh, how did how did you help, you know, people find the find the right career? Obviously, it was a different market, but uh, how, 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 how was Popsos, you know, helping people find their find the careers? Yeah, so we where we started was not where we ended, uh, as is often the case with companies. So we had had started with uh, with K twelve, and that was, you know, we we ended up working with some reasonably sized school districts: San Francisco, Chicago, Youngstown, Ohio, and and others. And there we were basically enabling the the school systems to to help students figure out what direction they want to pursue with their career and eventually you know choose a a college and so on associated with that path but man k-12 is a a miserable space um for for a number of reasons uh and ultimately we ended up uh both working with with, with colleges helping students figure out what career they wanted to go into connecting them with an appropriate college uh and, and major to, to get to that that type of endpoint, as well as we became effectively the career arm of the GED uh, and partnered partnered pretty closely with with the GED to help uh, people who are going through the GED process. It's not a single test; it's actually five tests, and they you know they they had challenges getting people to take all of the tests and complete all of them. And it turned out that if you knew what career you wanted to go into, you would uh, have a much higher completion rate because you actually have more motivation. You're like, 
if I finish this test and then I do this and then I do this, I can get to my end goal. And so that was uh, that that was the direction we ended up going and we're going in when we got acquired. Mm, got it, got it. And, uh, you know, uh, what for listeners who would want to get into the VC world, um, how, uh, what advice would you give to them if they want to cross over from becoming an operator to being a VC? Yeah, it's not... It's not an easy path, right? Venture capital is more open now than it was a few years back, but it's still not a, a easy path in. So, you know, there, there's different ways to do it, right? You can, you, you can one certainly start your own fund, or there's there's all sorts of flavors of that. You can uh, work with AngelList and do their rolling fund. You can create a syndicate. Uh, so if you're feeling entrepreneurial, there there are those types of options. Uh, alternatively, if you want to to join a fund, you know there there are different ways of doing it. One, you could start building out if you have uh, you know enough of a financial cushion of your own, you you can start doing uh, angel investments and build out your own portfolio so that when you then go to to a fund and knock on their door, you can say, hey, here's what I've invested in. Here's how I've helped them. Here's what those founders say about me. I'd love to love to have a conversation with you. Or you, you can start sending uh, sending deals to the funds that you want to work with, right? You, And it's not, it's not a numbers game. It's not, hey, I I said so many deals to this uh, this firm. It's actually it, it, if you just send a small number of deals, but they invest in in a few of those, or, or even one or two of them, uh, and those those companies do well, you know that it, that earns you the right to at least have a uh, a deeper conversation. Maybe ask to, hey, would you consider making me a venture partner? And maybe from a venture partner, you, you can take the next step down the road from from that. And so, you know, helping helping and proving value is generally a a good step to uh, to get in. Well, interesting. And you know, before the call, I I asked you know what is what does nineteen eighty four ventures mean, and you know how do, how did the name uh, start? So it's a reference uh, to the 1984 Apple ad. We're not not totalitarians. Yeah. It, we we love the 1984 Apple ad, which is indirectly, of course, a connection to uh, to the book. And the ad sort of stands for a lot of the things that that we like to think that we stand for. Mm, got it. Interesting. And yeah, your 1984 ventures invest in seed, and and you also don't take board positions. So uh, how, how do you, how do you support your founders? Uh, you know, if you're not leading uh, board seats, and and what ways uh, do you do you look at supporting them? There are a few different ways that we we work with founders after we cut a check. Uh, one is you know, a number of us have have been in on the founder side of the table before, and know that. Uh, even in the most successful companies, there are a lot of ups and downs and miserable periods. Uh, and so we we pride ourselves on uh, being the 2 a.m. phone call uh, on what we call founder therapy, because it's it's just lonely being a founder. Uh, but two, you know, every VC thinks they, they offer good advice. Uh, yeah. And so we... Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to offer advice and hopefully at a minimum, we do no harm, maybe do, do a little bit of good with that. Uh, but most VCs tend to undervalue their 
introductions and overvalue their advice. And so we we, we tend to optimize around uh, around introductions and around hiring. Uh, and so we we help a lot with. Uh, with hiring, with evaluating potential hires, uh, helping persuade potential hires to come on board and uh, telling them that they'd be crazy not to get on the rocket ship if it is a rocket ship. Um, so those, uh, you know, those types of conversations we're very accustomed to, to doing. Um, but in addition to that is really helping portfolio companies with uh, their, their Series A raise, their Series B raise and, and so on. And so that's everything from from helping with positioning with with the round, helping iterating on the deck. I'm actually doing that with a couple of companies right now, uh, doing practice pitches and ultimately introducing them to the top Series A firms in the world. Got interesting. And, you know, before, uh, I mean, pre-investment, how can founders know uh, whether a VC can add value? Uh, you know, what are, what are the signs for, for the founders to get to know that, you know, a VC could really add value to them? So the the number one thing to do is what we do with founders, which is ask for references, right? Um, you know, you, you certainly can look at the background of founders and and get, you know, an initial gauge from LinkedIn of, do I think that this person is going to be able at a 10,000 foot level to add value? You know, that's, that's one piece. Second is just... Re- you know, a VC's number one uh, asset is his or her reputation, uh, right? It's it's what allows Sequoia to to win deals over, uh, you know, over a no name firm, uh, and, and so and that reputation is usually built based on picking well and doing a great job helping their portfolio companies, and so. You know, it, it's uh, very reasonable when you are closing in on the finish line with with a, a firm to uh, either proactively reach out to you know some of their portfolio companies and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about taking money from uh, X Y Z. What do you think of them? Uh, or you can just you know ask the firm, hey, you know, I, I, you guys have been great so far. Really like the relationship. Would you mind connecting me with a reference or two from your portfolio? So that's that. That's sort of how I think about it. Plus, you know, in in the in the conversations in the lead up to a investment decision, you should hopefully be getting to know uh, the the VCs at least reasonably well, and hopefully get a gut instinct from that too. Do I have an interesting stat for you? Do you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives? Increased the social media presence by 10x, they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. And when it comes to post-investment, you know what 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 should founders do to extract the most value from their VCs? So, so this goes back to the idea that every VC thinks that they offer great advice. Uh, look, you should trust you should trust investors. It's not just VCs; it's angels. It's you know everybody at, on the areas that they have real expertise in, right? And so, you know, if you ask a a venture capitalist for advice, you know, hopefully 
if they give advice on something that they don't know so much about, they will highlight that and say, hey, you should take this with with a grain of salt. Because more often than not, the 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 founder is is, you know, the, really the expert is down in the thick of it, talking with customers. And, you know, if the if an investor is coming in and saying, I think the world looks like this, and the founder is talking with customers who say, I think the world looks like that, I would listen to the market more often than I'd listen to to investors. Uh so you know, it's all about where where their expertise lies, right? So VCs tend to be, hopefully, uh, the, the the more active, the good ones tend to be fairly good at uh, figuring out here's here's what you need to do for your next round. Or at least I shouldn't speak of VCs generally, but at least if you ask me, I, I I'm probably going to give fairly strong advice on. Here's how you should be thinking about, you know, what you need to do to reach your next round, thinking about how to position it. Here's firms that might be a good fit. Here's how, et cetera. Um, at the same time, you know, if if one of my founders who, uh, who is deep in residential real estate appraisals says, hey, how do you think I should structure the intricacies of this product of residential real estate appraisals? for to make it more usable by appraisers i'm happy to to comment but that advice that i offer should be taken with a grain of salt because the founder has spent years focused on that specific set of questions whereas you know my knowledge is miles wide and a couple of inches deep and i think that's true in general of most vcs you know you have vcs who have specific depth in a given area, and that that's great. You you can ask them for to go deep with you in that area, uh, but you know, in in general, you should look at what uh, a given investor really knows well and ask them to add value on that. And you know, I for instance can help a lot on on enterprise sales processes and and BD because these are places that I I've gone deep. But there are definitely areas on. For every VC, where you'll ask them questions, and your job as a founder is to figure out from all the the fire hose of advice that you're getting from various folks, your investors and others, what do you trust and what don't you trust? Got it. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, ninety-eight for ventures are uh, uh, you know sector agnostic. You know what? What is the a uh, single most important element when investing in the market that you are entering in. I'm not sure if I followed that. Ask that question again. Uh, I mean, what is what is the single most important element uh, for you when you are investing in the market that you are entering? So, so when we look at a a given investment, let me sort of take a step back on that. At, at a high level, we're looking at team market product in that order. So uh, ahead of the market, we're, we're looking first, much more importantly at, at the team. And where, where we've missed out on good deals, it has often been because we, we loved the team, didn't love the market too much. The market was a little bit too small or something like that. 
And the team, you know, it was a great team and they figured out that that was the case and figured out either how to expand the market, how to move into a much larger adjacent market, et cetera. Uh, but when we're evaluating the market, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, certainly market size. We're looking at, uh, you know, what, what direction is it heading in? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Looking at Porter's five forces type stuff is the, you know, what's the level of consolidation in, in, in that market and so on. So all, all of those kind of come into, into play. There's, there's a fair number of kind of nuances around that, but at a high level, that's kind of how we think about it. Got it. And, and talk to the market size. You know, how do you how do you assess you know both market market size as well as market growth uh, in the companies that you invest in? So, so market size has to be bottom up, right? Every once in a while, you get these you get these decks that have some number that's out of a McKinsey report, and it says this is a thirty billion dollar market. It's like, yeah. But that's not actually the market size for the product you're selling. For for what you're selling, it's actually you know a seven hundred and fifty million dollar market. And so the the question is, what from bottoms up, what is your uh, your your market size? And so we we make sure that uh, that the founder really digs in and gives us that that view. Uh, and then in terms of you know direction that is moving that. That that actually is is okay out of out of some report. The reports are always a little bit off, but uh, just want to get a directional sense of of hey, is this growing or is this market going to be half the size in uh, in a couple of years? Got it. And you know, I was interested to know what what what's the biggest hit uh, you have had, and you know, uh, does it change your mindset when you have really big wins? So so our. We're on fund two, and our fund one uh, portfolio at this point has a, a number of Series Bs, a uh, handful of Series Cs, but you know it's all still early, right? We'll we'll see uh, who ends up being being the billion dollar outcomes, and and that remains to be seen. But I'd, I'd certainly point to companies like fair market uh which is automating uh automating procurement for the enterprise uh kite i don't know if you've ever kited but it is as though uh renting an uh renting a car was as easy as ordering an uber and, and you know as well as a number of others that have uh really done well we we don't uh we love all the kids equally um so but but so there, there's uh, I'd say looking at our portfolio, uh, we have what I would consider to be a very good book of business and a lot of shots on goal. Uh, so you know I, I, I'm not going to sort of point to one and say this is the 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 best because we actually have a lot of shots on goal. There's a second part to that question. I'm not sure I fully answered it. What was it? Yeah, um, does it change your mindset when you have big wins, and does it give you like a confirmation bias that you need to keep investing in the in the same sector? So it's <laughs> it's a it's a funny question. We, you know, we we've there 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 is confirmation bias, and, and you know, there's uh, there there is a tendency to say, oh well, this worked, so you know, the the same model in this other industry will work, or you know, we, we've invested in in two teams that are uh, all German teams, and both 
both teams have done phenomenally well. And so now every time I see an all German team, I'm like, Oh, well, these guys are going to do great. Um, <laughs> and, and so that, that sort of thinking is, is of course not, not optimal. And so we try to be cognizant of, uh, of biases. And of course, you know, there, there's always hidden bias, but we, 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 we try to recognize at least the more, the more obvious ones like that. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. I want to talk about board membership. How do you, uh, I mean, you, you don't take board, uh, board seats, but, uh, but for listeners who would, would, would want to become VCs and would want to uh, take board, uh, board seats, uh, what advice would you give to them on, you know, how should, get, how should they gain the, the first boards? So it's not... It, it 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 sort of depends. Are you, it depends on if if they're in a venture firm and it is a uh, Series A or beyond, you know they and they're leading rounds, then they'll end up on on boards, right? Yeah. Uh, if they want to get onto boards and they are not in that sort of situation. You know, it's a tougher road. There are there are these sort of matchmaking services uh, and marketplaces for for board members. I don't really know how well those those work. My, I think it it, it frankly tends to be a little bit of an insider game where you know you're you're, you're friendly with uh, with various VC firms or um, or, or or you know other other types of shops and and they need an independent board member and you've got deep expertise in XYZ area and they say, you know, let's pull in Sarah, let's pull in Tim. And so that's that's sort of how I that that type of thing often happens. It's not it, there's not a really good straightforward path to, hey, you know, I'd like to become a board member tomorrow and get some practice. You know, where do I go? Hmm. Got it. And, and, and how does 1984 Ventures uh, structure and, you know, optimize its decision-making process when they're looking to, uh, you know, uh, looking at investments? So, so we have a, a, a fairly streamlined process, right? You want to make good decisions and you want to make fast decisions. Uh, s- speed helps you win, but you also have to be right. Uh, and so, so basically the the way that we we kind of structure that is that uh you know we we're, we're a small team which one helps make things fast because you take a look at some of the the larger firms and you just have to go through waves and waves of meetings and uh there's always an, another partner to meet and with us you know there's only only a handful uh so that that helps and then so you only have to meet a a few of us, and then you either need one of us really banging our fist on the table, uh, or all of us to to be pretty excited. Uh, and, and you know, like I said, we are looking at team market product uh, and really diligencing the nature of demand, 
diligencing uh, the 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 uh, market dynamics and diligencing the team. And so we try and get that done pretty quickly. And obviously, if if we have deep familiarity with the market already, we can diligence faster than if it's a new market to us and we really have to um, get up to speed. And so part of part of what we're constantly doing is just learning more about uh, about new markets so that when we see the next company in a given space, we already have you know a, a pretty good market map, understanding the market dynamics in the back of our head. Got it. And uh, uh, and I want to understand, you know, how how do you uh, uh, how do you give you know hard feedback to to founders, uh, but also retain that relationship of trust and safety at the same time. Yeah. So so our our founders. I think I uh, expect a a honest, friendly, no bullshit approach from us, uh, and that is that that is the the tone we we tend to take. And you know, they we, we sort of set that tone very, very early on in the relationship, where you know we we want to be the first call when things are going going awry, and we're super aligned with them. You know, our, our we write our, our our biggest check up front, right? We're we're not one one of the issues with a taking a seed investment from a multi stage fund is you're always worried. Well, will they uh, lead my A? Will they, you know, if they don't lead my A, will I get a black eye? What is the signaling risk and and so on? With us, we're just you know we're aligned, so it's it becomes very easy um, to for founders to feel like we're on their side of the table. And you know you can you can give very open, straightforward advice without being a dick. Um, and so that uh, I, I think we've gotten to. I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. I think we've gotten fairly good at that. And, and you know, a lot of our founders over time, um, you know, the we get to know them over years and years, and we just end up being being friends as well as advisors. Um, and so I. I I'm fairly proud of the fact that uh, we're we're still often helping a lot of our portfolio companies, even when they're raising Series Bs and and Cs, and um, and are have boards that they can lean on as well. Got it. And, and what do you think is is the single biggest misalignment between VCs and founders, especially with uh, with the recession coming in? You know, do you think there's got to be uh, you know a lot of misalignment between VCs and founders going ahead. I mean, look, I, I I think I think you see a lot of weird stuff in downturns. I and, and so I don't think overall, in general, there there is any more misalignment today than there was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are an expanded set of edge cases where you'll you'll have and more actually in uh later rounds not not so much in seed but more in later rounds where you know a company is uh is nearing the end of its runway and you'll have an investor come in and offer uh, offer terms that are good for the investor but bad for the company right where the the investor uh does some some wacky stuff with liquidation preference or do, does you know just 
some non-standard terms that are going to potentially make it harder to raise uh, in future rounds of financing, but that cover the investor's ass. And so that's not, that's obviously not a good thing. Um, and, and, but, you know, it's still fairly rare. It's more the exception than the rule. Mm, got it. And, uh, and what advice would you give to founders uh, in regards to, you know, fundraising for, for this year? I mean, a lot, lot of people are saying that it's going to be very difficult to, to raise funds, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's certainly, certainly harder to fundraise now than it was a year ago. I think founders need to do whatever is necessary to to extend their runway. And, you know, if they're able to get to cash flow positive, that's uh, that's fantastic. And if they, um, you know, it's, it's okay to raise, uh, ra- raise a flat round if, if they need to, but basically, you know, it, it's really looking at what are the hard proactive steps that founders need to take in order to, uh, in order to have the runway that they need and, uh, and not have their back against a wall. And, 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 what, and what do you think about you know crossover funds, especially you know funds like Tiger, who is also investing to seed. We had Sequoia, which which had a surge program. Do you think uh, they want to stop investing to you know seed companies, or are they going to focus on your later stage? I mean, look, I think in, in this type of environment, you're seeing see, seeing a lot of folks who are who are moving upstream into seed basically because they, they are concerned about the downstream risk, right? They, they are, it's more of a bet to take uh, to, to back a series B or a series C or a series D today than it was a year ago, because, you know, the, the IPO window isn't really open. The, it's not clear who's going to, uh, who's going to lead the next round. And so, if if you're an investor in in one of those funds, you know it feels a little bit safer to uh, to to move into places like seed. But you know you take a look at the fund economics, and it doesn't necessarily make a, a lot of sense. You if, if you've got a billion dollar fund, um, you know you, you can't they're, they're, and you try and invest all of that in in seed rounds. What that that's going to be fairly fairly challenging right you're not going to be able to be involved with all those companies you can't sit on all those companies boards you can't uh you know you, you just the numbers don't work out in terms of the number of partners that these funds have versus the number of investments you'd have to make in order to uh to to make a real dent in their fund size uh with at, at seed and so you know that that's that's kind of the the dynamic that's that's happening there and you know, it, it comes in waves right eventually the market will open back up uh these guys will focus more on on later stage and and, and so on and um you know it, it expands and contracts got it and um and i quickly want to do the top three what's your favorite business book so this is going to sound super weird, but it's actually Shogun, which on the surface has nothing to do with business. It's a, it's a fictional novel based in feudal Japan, but it is a fantastic book in terms of learning about strategy and and leadership. It's just 
uh, wrapped in very unusual packaging. Interesting. I've, I've never heard about this book. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started working in venture capital, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? So, I I wouldn't have done that much differently when I started in in venture. I would say pre venture, uh, back when I was in college, where I had had the most useless major you can possibly imagine. I majored in. Uh, I, I was in this weird uh, kind of honors program where you could create your own major, study whatever you wanted to, and you could actually name your major. And I, I came up with the name for my major three months before graduation because they finally made me and called it Environmental Policy, po- Politics, and Law, which was utterly useless. Uh, and, and so I, I would have, you know, learned how to code. Okay, got it. Uh, and what's your favorite online tool? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely love love that tool. Uh, I will put that in the show notes. Um, and uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about 1984 Ventures? LinkedIn. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, it yeah it, it you know I I tend to. Tend to use LinkedIn a little bit more than I use use Twitter. It's also where I tend to share most of my thoughts. And I've really found that from the perspective of of finding finding phenomenal founders early on in a company's life cycle, it's a it's a great place to look. And so that is is a terrific place to connect with me if you're if you're starting something. I uh, would love for you to reach out. And in particular, where where we love to play is uh pre-seed and seed companies that are that that are uh ideally in an unsexy or antiquated industry, but really anything that you're uh that that you're starting that's not hyped up. So, you know, we we didn't we haven't touched, for instance, crypto or or blockchain in uh in the last five years until just now now that no one will touch uh blockchain post sbf we finally made our first blockchain investment so we really avoid hype uh so as long as it's not not hyped up and you've got strong engineering talent on board uh we're interested so drop me a note sorry we'll put that in our notes um and thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us i really enjoyed my conversation with you Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>